Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Christopher O'Doherty, or better known as Reg Mombasa, an Australian New Zealand born artist and musician. Best known as the founding member and guitarist in the band Mental As Anything and the artist and designer for Mambo Surfwear. His art includes landscapes and portraits including religious, political and popular culture themes. He's designed costumes and displays for the closing ceremony of the Sydney Olympics, titled The Hero Segment. And away from all of this, he loves to surf. And Chris Thomas, an English record producer who has worked with the likes of The Beatles, Pink Floyd, Roxy Music, Badfinger, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Pete Townsend, The Sex Pistols, In Excess and The Pretenders. He's won the Rolling Stone Producer of the Year and Billboard Producer of the Year. He's won a Grammy and a Brit Award. And away from music, he's a cricket lover. Let's get started. Okay, we'll get started. A quick disclaimer. Um, if 2020 has been... A tough year for you. Do not listen to this episode. Uh, you'll feel like a gross underachiever with these two. On the show today, Chris Doherty, or was better known as Reg Mombasa, Australian New Zealand born artist and musician. Welcome, Reg. Hi, how are you going? <laughs> Good, mate. And Chris Thomas, an English record producer. Welcome, Christopher. <laughs> when you said 2020, I thought actually you were talking about cricket then. <laughs> now, have, you, have you boys come across each other um, in, in your past on music? No, I don't think so. I thought I might have met Chris, but no, I, I don't think we have. I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Now, Reg, um, where did the name come from, Reg Mombasa? I know you, your real name is a Doherty surname. Yeah, my father was disappointed that I became reasonably well-known with a <laughs> stupid f- fake name. Oh, when, when the band started, we just used to amuse ourselves by inventing ridiculous names for each other and trying to make – I invented Greedy's name, much to the annoyance of his wife and uh, mother <laughs> – and um, and I just thought it was funny to have a sort of a truck driver's first name with an exotic surname. Uh, luckily, I before Regiment Basser, I was Dorky Bladder, so I'm glad I, <laughs> glad I didn't, didn't get stuck with that one. <laughs> Chris, did you have a uh, what was your nickname? Mm, didn't well. A lot of people used to call me Tiff. Tiff Townsend used to know me as Tiff, which was a sort of a, well, Christopher became Tiffer, and then Tiffer became Tiff. It's better than Toff, I suppose. <laughs> or, yeah, or Tosser. <laughs> now, Reg, um, the Mentals, you guys covered um, Elvis, I think it was some Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison, yep. Did you have anything to do with, with, with those guys at all? Roy Orbison, no, no, no. 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 Not at all. No. And, and, and the whole Mentals and everything, you guys were all art students originally. Is that correct? That's right, yep. yeah. And, you're, and, you, and you've got a diploma in painting. Yep. It's something you can't get a job with, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the only person we might know in common is John L- John Rotten, John Lydon. Yeah, because I, I met him a couple of times. We did a he had a connection with Mambo, and I ended up doing a record cover for a Pills Greatest Hits. Oh, really? I didn't so, realise that. Oh, but, great! Uh, so, uh, yeah. so I, I met John a couple of times. Yeah, he's, he's an a interesting a, fella. Very definitely. <laughs> Do you see yourself as a, a musician first or an artist first? Well, I know, I know they're both artists, but I probably started being an artist really because yeah. I, you know, I drew all the time as a kid, and I didn't really start playing the guitar till I was fifteen or so. So, um, yeah, I guess art is my day job. And, and, and from that, Chris, do you guys ever have as a producer? Um, do you ever any influence over the creative side? What what an art album might look like, or was that sort of outside? what an album might look yeah. like? Yeah, um, I. Did, uh, one of the first bands I worked with was a band called Climax Chicago Blues Band. Right. And uh, I actually did design the second album cover, believe it or not. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And what did that look like? Sorry? What did that look like? In actual fact, it was um, I had these two little pictures, uh, which are quite well-known ones. They were prints that I had from, I don't know, they were sort of left over from my dad or something like that, of this kid with this floppy hat on playing cricket. And first of all, and... and when you turn it, so there's the photograph of him stand, standing at the wicket, and when you turn it round, he's, he's out. And he's sort of got this sort of gormless look on his face. And so I called it Played On. Oh, really? And it was before the Fleetwood Mac album that was called Played On. And, but that was the pun of the fact that... Uh-huh. You know. and, and, Reg, um, mate, sad news, you lost um, lead singer Andrew Greedy-Smith last year, mate. That must have been really tough. Yeah, it was a... Big surprise, actually, because he was probably the healthiest one in the band. We thought we thought he would yeah. he would live forever, and he was he was the most sort of positive um, person I've ever met. He was just moving house, wasn't he? Yeah, he was moving house. He, him and his fiance had just bought a flat, I think, and right. um, he apparently he stopped the, he stopped the car. She was in a car behind, and he stopped, and she thought, "Oh, what's going on?" And she he said, "I think I'm having a heart attack," and, and um, he. He became unconscious, and, and a, a guy helped to get him out of the car, and they got him to hospital quick. But it was just too late; he bled out. It was a oh, right. massive um, aneurysm, I think. Yeah, poor thing. Mm. And, and Chris, who, who is uh, mate? Looking at your, oh, it just blows. I know we're, we're mates, right? And we, we catch up quite often. But it just still amazes me, like the the breadth of bands you've worked with. Mm. And I was thinking today, who was the greatest front man? Do you think? Greatest at, frontman that at, I work with. Yeah, out of all those. Well, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, Elton wasn't a frontman because no. he's like, you know, yeah. he's, the, he's, the, he's the solo act, really. Um, well, definitely Michael Hutchins. Yeah. Michael was. My, Michael was, you know, a very special guy. Very and, special and, guy and, in a lot of ways. And, 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 and why do you think that is? Like, I know when um, you see it in sport, you know, um, I, I got to meet Michael Jordan years ago. Um, when he walks in a room, it's sort of, there's this charisma that surrounds him. Like Shane Warne has that as well in cricket. Mm, mm. Um, what, what, what do you think it is with, with the front man? Because obviously they've got well, to be Lydon, You were talking about John Lydon. I mean, if ever a bloke walks in the room and everybody just goes, <gasps> there's an intake of breath, you know, he really? just like, <clears throat> you know, he, he really just takes over the room. Michael wasn't like that at all. Michael was really quite quiet. Um, Michael would turn it on on stage. Um, when he was in the studio, it was very different. He was very serious about what he was doing. Right. You know, really serious about it. And I think sometimes it's underestimated how much he did within the band because, of course, he wrote most of the top lines and all the lyrics. He did, didn't he? So, you know, yeah. I don't think people quite, you know, realise just how much he, he did. And he really had an instinct for the right thing as well, which you can't really buy. No. You know? And, and that's, that was very special. And, and where, where did you, where, there's one thing, where, where does your ear go when you, when you look at a band, but where, where did your eye go when you looked at the Beatles? Did it go to McCartan or Lennon? Oh, that's a weird one, isn't it? Well, yeah. probably both of them, I guess, because right. they were both sort of, are you talking about if you see them yeah, playing? Yeah, Well, I did, I was lucky. I saw them, I mean, I, I saw them first time, I think, in 63. Well, whereabouts? Uh, Finsbury, it was Finsbury Astoria or something. They did a Christmas thing. They were on there for about two weeks before Christmas in 63. And of course, you didn't hear it. You literally didn't hear anything because they had those little Vox amps. Screaming. You know, and the screaming. And I was just completely mad. But the funny thing is the next year they played Hammersmith Odeon for a few weeks. And my sister got tickets and we were in the front row, but right down in the corner end. And we saw the show and then... uh, a few days later, I said to her, you know, you're out. What did you do last night? You were out last night. She said, I went to see the Beatles. I said, what? You got tickets? How did you manage to get tickets? She said, no, we worked out that if you go there at half time, 
right, and buy an ice cream. There were quite a few standing places in Hammersmith Odeon. Smart. Oh, that's clever. So you could just walk in with your ice cream and watch it. So I thought, okay, great. So I did that about five nights on the trot, went to see the Beatles every night. And it was so weird because that's when I suddenly, everything sort of, I went, oh no, because it suddenly realised all the banter, everything was the same every night. Oh, and, really? And you used to think it was all special and Paul was talking no, to you and funny. he just said the same thing every night. That, 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 that would have been an amazing year, but you probably put on about five kilos. Holy <laughs> 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 ice cream. Um, Rich, who, who, who were the musical influences of, of the mentals, do you think? Oh, pr- uh, quite a wide variety yes. I mean I, I sort of when I was 16 all the bands that were happening were like blues bands basically like yeah. you know the well the Stones were they were a pop band kind of by then but uh, you know bands like John Mayle and Cream and um, Jimi Hendrix I was listening to stuff like that but Martin loved the monkeys so you know so um, and the Beatles so it was kind of, and, and I, I really like old uh, American roots music too you know old country yeah, and old, yeah. old blues and folk so it was quite a range of stuff. So you, you mentioned Jimi Hendrix. Now, is this true? Because I know you were trained with a violin and you mm. played bass. Did you turn down playing with Jimi Hendrix in the early days? Is there any truth yeah, to that? You, you, you could say that. It's very weird. I <laughs> Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> because, basically, I got to know Mitch Mitchell. He lived very locally. He lived literally a few hundred yards down the road from me. And he used to play with Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. And Georgie Fame suddenly just got rid of the band and went solo at the time when he did Yeah Yeah and that stuff and Mitch was out of a job and I, so that's when I sort of got to know him just hanging around in Ealing and, uh, and one day he came up to me he said you play bass don't you I said yeah I said, why he said like, I'm going to America to rehearse with this like this guitarist and he's supposed to be really phenomenal. I mean, he can play it with his teeth, he can play it behind his back. And I thought, oh, shit, I don't want to play in some sort of circus act. <laughs> and left it at that. And then about three months later, I switched on Ready, Steady, Go. And there's Mitch playing with this guy, and they're doing this song called Hey Joe. And I went like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, and it all worked out for the best. Talk about working out for the best. How did you get involved with Mambo? Um, I, the guy that ran it, Dare Jennings, the sort of the founder he um he just liked one of the single covers i did for the mentals and it had had some people in a car driving along but it had a couple of chooks running along sort of vomiting blood or liver or something and he <laughs> said oh can you just do me the chooks as a as a yardage so i did you know i used to do graphic jobs on the side and stuff for other bands and that at the time and i just kept doing stuff and it developed a life of its own and that was a what that was around 1986 86 yeah. 86 yeah and and since then like you you, you can see your old collections and in they've done the state museums here and that sort of stuff as well haven't they yeah some of the stuff's in some of the museums yeah, yeah and what, what, nice. what, what are you most proud of do you think from from those collections in those days oh probably um australian jesus at the football probably was <laughs> one of the ones i quite like <laughs> Mate, there's a quote here. I'm going to read a quote here. It says, Reg is inspired by wind, semi-professional birthday clowns, heavy machinery, and behaviour of domestic animals. That's true. Yes, that's completely true. That's it. I particularly like wind. And and you, you love a wind. When, when did that start? Oh, I just I mean, I, I mean I, I, just, just something about being out outdoors on a maybe on a sunny winter's day and there's a slight breeze and you can hear the birds in the trees and I love it, mate. Just a nice thing. Um, one of the nice things I, I read about you, Chris, and even though I know you that I think pretty well, but I didn't realise that you actually sat in on sessions with the Hollies. 
um, many years ago. Only, only to watch. I didn't, only, only, I didn't no, do anything no, no, at all. No, no, only to watch. But my question mm. is, what did you learn from watching them? This was really, this is right early bang doors, at the beginning, yeah. right yeah. at the beginning. Um, I don't know. I mean, like the whole thing was just such a, I mean, like just walking into Abbey Road and then walking down that corridor and turning right and going into the control room. And then you look down at this huge studio, but I mean, it's sort of gobsmacked to begin with. But the most important thing was that the, um, the guy who produced them was Ron Richards. Right. And he was incredibly kind to me, really sort of nurturing. And basically, it was like, you just sit there and watch. And he introduced, you know, and I got on quite well with the the band. In fact, um, I remember like going around, hanging around with um, Tony Hicks one day. And he was in an open top car. And he was, I think, he's younger than me, but he'd been like a, a star since he was 15 or something. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like 21 or something, 22 or something, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and he'd been a star for years and years and years. And like, we're in this car and we we're, were in a car and we were driving down the King's Road and we're going to go and have like lunch in Chelsea. And I'm just going, I can't believe what's going on here. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> but it was great. Uh, it was great watching them. And it was great. It was good to see. The way that uh, it was just an introduction, really, to sort of to the whole thing and seeing how in those days, for instance, the, the engineer would be completely different to a producer. Right. You know, a producer was in charge of, he'd sign up the band, he'd find the songs, which is what Ron was very, very good at. Okay. And, um, but, you know, the engineer, everything was set up pretty much the same all the time at Abbey Road, you know, and the engineers worked to a specific kind of plan. And, like, a producer would never touch the board in those days, ever. Was that similar when you guys were recording? Yeah, yeah, pretty much was, yeah. The engineer was quite quite separate. And then later on, engineers started becoming producers. And, yeah. and, and um, coincidentally, we do, we do a Graham Nash cover. We do uh, Military Madness. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, Okay. We're going to take a little break now and see what we're going to have for lunch. So we're here at Raphael's, uh, one Farrier Place, Sydney. I'm here with Paolo. We're in a private room here, mate. Yeah. We've got some... What, what, what have we got for lunch, mate? So today, I'm easily going to organise for you guys classic Italian food. Beautiful. We're going to start with a little bit of shell, follow up. I'm going to open up a bottle of our Pinot Grigio to start, and then we're going to follow Yum. up with a bottle of uh, our Shiraz that we're importing from South Australia. Now, today we're going to do a little bit of zucchini flour filled with ricotta, mascarpone, and a touch of truffle. Yeah. Oil in there, guys, and very healthy fries, and I'm telling you that. <laughs> and then we're going to follow up immediately after with the trovelli. A little bit of San Daniele prosciutto with some salty ricotta, olives, and oh. panna carasau. That is actually crispy bread from uh, Sardinia. And guys, if there's any particular request, I would like to send a little burrata. The burrata, <laughs> nice, soft, milky. 30% is buffalo, and the rest is actually cow milk, served with some cherry tomato, a little bit of anjovi olive oil, a breadcrumb infused with garlic there. And this is just a starter. Now, I would like to follow up immediately after with three or four different types of pasta. Where well, might I'm going to serve you orecchiette with a broccoli. I know everyone loves broccoli. And there with a little bit of scallops on the top that's been pan fried with a garlic olive oil. I'm going to serve some casarecce. That is basically a, a semi-twist pasta served with a capsicum sauce, a little bit of a spicy salami on, in there. And then at the end, they're going to serve our brisket ragu. And then we're going to start. We can open another conversation. With we can, else. mate. Well, Raf- Raphael's one farrier place, Sydney. I'm telling you, if you want to be treated like kings, come and see Paolo. Raphael's, mate, thank you very much. I'm starving now. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin. 
delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansportshq.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Hey, um, Chris, I was going to say, um, you told a really good story to me the other day about when you met Joe Cocker. <laughs> you know, can you tell that story? We digress. We digress. Know, it's a great story. How did I meet Joe Cocker? I was working with uh, I was working with Frankie Miller, Scottish singer. Yep, from Glasgow, hey. and uh, and it got to Christmas time, and we all went off to a party down at A and M Records, Christmas party there, and I was absolutely sort of rubbed out by this time. I used to work such sort of long hours. I'd just be you know when I finished my my night's work was when I couldn't do much more, you know. And we went down to the party and then they said, okay, we're all going off to Blake's hotel for another drink. And I said to, they had a, a roadie there who had actually, coincidentally, he worked with Wings at the time. So for some reason, he was doing this stuff with Frankie. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm chopping out. I'm going home. I said, I can't, I can't. He said, come with us. And he said, and if any time you want to go home, I'll sort you out and I'll get you home. As like, that was like yeah. real sort of road, like looking, <laughs> yeah. you know, being yeah. nannied. It was great. Yeah. You know, so I went, okay, fair enough. So we went down to Blake's and it got to about sort of like half one, two o'clock. And I went like, I think that's it. Yep. And Ian said, wait there, I'll have something sorted out. And about five minutes later, 10 minutes later, he said, come on, we're going home. I'll, I'll, I'll take you home. I went, you don't have to. He said, no, no, it's all right. So we go out of Blake's and there's a Jag, Jaguar there. Right, and he says, "Jump in the back." So I jumped in the back, and Ian jumped in the back next to me. And the guy in the front said, "Like, so where are we going?" I said, "We're going to Ealing." And he said, "Where's that?" And I said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll show you the way." He's like down the end of the road, and we're going to do a left, and that. and then like, and bit by bit. So I'm really telling the driver the whole time where to go, which I think is a bit weird, and so, you know. And then I look, I'm looking at the driver, and I'm he looked very, very familiar somehow, <laughs> and I kind of looked at. Ian and I sort of whispered to him and I said, is that Joe Cocker? <laughs> and he nodded, yes. I mean, I'm thinking, what the? 
Part-time job. What's he... What's what's, what's all this about? I've gotten... I just couldn't work out at all. But, I mean, in those days, I mean, so many mad things used to happen. I mean, you did sort of just take it as as read. So we got home, and I used to live with this... uh, fantastic uh, Japanese girl called Mika who is in a band of her own called Sadistic Mika Band who actually supported Jeez. Roxy at wow. Wembley and yep. stuff like that anyway I pressed the button and uh, the, you know the doorbell and, and Mika came down out of bed and I said put the kettle on I said we've got guests oh a cup of tea so we go into the <laughs> kitchen and we sit there and I, and I said to you know and I get a couple of bottles I said right who wants whiskey who wants cognac and yep. Joe had some whiskey and so anyway um we, and we were sitting there and we're drinking and we put the radio on and bit by bit, as, as, we're, as, as we're listening to the radio, Joe starts tugging his hair and singing. But he's got... Now, some people have quite quiet voices. They can have fantastic voices, but they're quite quiet. He had a really, really big voice. Big and voice. booming away there. And it's like half past three in the morning and Mick is going, there, there, dear. Yeah. You know, quiet, quiet, you'll wake up neighbours. <laughs> and he, was, nothing was going to stop Joe because he'd had a couple of scotches by now and he was into it and he was singing along to all the records, you know. So how, how and, she's got, and she's kind of, very good, very good. You should join, you should join group. You should join group. Now be quiet. <laughs> so how old would he be at this stage? How old was he? Yeah. I don't know, because now how old are you? I mean, this is 76, so you yeah. can work it out. Yeah. I don't know. I'll work it out. 30-something. Yeah. And uh, but you, I'm sure you want Joe Cocker driving your car at three in the morning. The way, the way he used to be, I think he was great. He was a sweetheart. <laughs> he was lovely. And then I forget Ian split, and I was left with Joe in the front room as dawn came came up, and we were listening to records. And uh, I remember him finding a Randy Newman album, and I actually he said, "Oh, can I have this?" Because there was a song on there. I can't remember what the song was, and he played me this song, and it skipped me completely at the time. And he actually made me aware of the song and I can't remember what it's called now but then I noticed about three years later we recorded it and it went on the amazing story mate if you're enjoying this episode check out a previous episode with Kieran Gribben and Benny Elias when we talk about all things music in excess and rugby league hey Reg what was, what was the, the music scene like here in the late 70s early 80s Oh, it was fantastic. It was yep. really booming. I mean, every every pub because you know after the sort of punk kind of new wave thing happened, yep. every every pub had a band. Every corner pub had a band playing, and and there's heaps of venues. I mean, that's when we started touring. You played every night of the week. Like I say, we were playing and, every night of the week. Yeah, yeah, and pretty well, well. Once once we had a you know had hit records and started touring nationally. Uh, before that, we'd mainly play at the weekend, and, Thursday, Friday, and, and, Saturday. And how would you get around the country? Was it in a, in a van? Like the in a, old, in the, a van or hire cars, you know, station wagons. And is there a venue that um, a venue that comes to mind that you guys just love playing at? Um, oh, let me think. Um, nothing, nothing specific. I mean, you know, there were most of them were fine. You know, yeah, there were. Yeah, no, I can't think of any. I think hey, we, we play that there's so many. You kind of yeah, they sure, yeah. become a blur. Now, I believe you've got you and your brother Pete uh, um, uh, in a band called Dog Trumpet, yep, and you've got a new right. album um, being yeah. released. We're going to play one of the songs at the end of the um, the podcast here. Oh, good. Um, so talk talk us through talk us through the album. Well, it's um, it's called the Great South Road, which is kind of a reference to the main road between Auckland and Wellington and yep. New Zealand, which we lived on when we were kids, and and you know it's sort of also a metaphor for the human race going south, heading into 
heading towards hell. Gotcha. For a variety of reasons. <laughs> so it's both a cheerful reference and a very, and a very gloomy reference. <laughs> well, and, and where does the name Dog Trumpet come from? Uh, well, it was one of the images I did for yeah. Mambo, and we were a bit lazy. Exactly. thought, oh, that'll do. We've got the logo already. We'll. It's, yeah, it was, just, it was a, not not the farting dog. I didn't no. do that. That was oh, someone you else. Farting dog. I didn't do it, no. Mate, my junior reporter, Trent Lund, said it was, that, that was from you, but I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm going to no. talk to my junior reporter no, here. A lot of people think that. It's a common misperception. But really? No, no the, the dog trumpet was sort of like a cross between a, a dog and a trumpet, a jet engine. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, I ask every guest on the show, and I ask you first, Reg, um, if you're a young painter or young musician at the moment, what advice would you give them right now? I'd say give up immediately. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I mean, just you know, basically, just keep doing it. You know, keep turning up. Really, turning up for the turning up every day is the main thing, and keep churning it out, and hope you get a couple of lucky breaks. And are you, st- are you still painting every day? Yep. Yeah, every, every day. day, and playing music every day too. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Good to start doing. We've done about five gigs in the last couple of weeks, which Mate. is a good change. Oh, great! Yeah. yeah. Well, you've seen one of my paintings. I've, I've actually painted. I like the impressionist period, and I um I went onto YouTube and I googled how to how to uh, paint like an impressionist. <laughs> oh, well, that's so, how I, I learned yeah. to paint by copying impressionist pictures yeah. when I was fifteen, sixteen, and, and you can't really get it wrong, can you? Really, the impressionist is sort of yeah, that's, that's my great. impression no, of what it should no, look like. <laughs> no, just great. Yeah, great. <laughs> no, great paintings, great colour schemes. I've probably still got a vaguely impressionist colour scheme to some yeah. extent. Are you colour blind? Yeah, I'm colourblind, yeah, yeah, completely, yeah. So, because colourblind, I know Brad Hodge, Australian cricketer, and he's Victorian cricketer, he was colourblind, so <laughs> whenever whenever he would bat in the indoor cricket nets, he would get bowled nearly every ball because he can't see red on the, the green oh, background. Oh, no, that's right, yeah. he can't see the depth. No, red, red and greens are particularly yeah, hard, so, right? So how does it work for you with, with painting? Well, you you know you can be colour blind, but you you get you can still yeah. see the colours. I mean, yeah, yeah, things like red and green are tricky. I have to really study the pencils closely sometimes before I um, I've done Naked Men as, as light green rather thinking it was ochre an our, ochre colour our producer Dan's done a lot of Naked Men too that's another story <laughs> <laughs> Chris what advice would you give to a, a young musician coming through right now I think it's just stick to it. I really stick to your, you know, most people have got some idea of what they want. And I think stick to your ideals, really stick. And, and then you'll find out if you're right for the job. Yeah. You know, rather than, yeah, really, really stick to it. And, and don't forget, it's a hell of a lot of work. A hell of a lot of, you know, all the people I know who've made it have worked really, really, really hard workers. I mean, you, know. you, look, you look at the, as I said before, the, the, the breadth of, of artists you've worked with. Was, was music always going to be your bag, do you think? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly ever since, yeah, once I really did, once I moved out of, well, I was still at the Academy doing classical, but once I started to discover, when I discovered Buddy Holly, my whole life changed. And, uh, and then the same thing happened with the Beatles. And then like when the Stones came, it was just more and more affirmation, Mm. you know? So, uh, yeah, it had to be. You said to me once, you you, you thought Buddy Holly was the most um, influential artist of the last century. Well, we did have a few scotches that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, he influenced Paul McCartney yeah. very, very strongly. And it's amazing how many people that now, when you sort of start talking about music, if you mention Buddy Holly, they all light up. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and everybody, you know, it's sort of, it really 
got everything going, I think. It sort of moved it away from the sort of the Elvis and, and Little Richard stuff into the sense that, like, here was a guy who was really writing all his own songs and really effectively he produced them all. I mean, he was a one-man band, you know, and I think that's where, I mean, he was such an influence on Paul. He was 22 and he died. I mean, he did all that in 18 months yeah, or something. Amazing. It was just yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. It's just like turning on a tap, you know. Jeez, I wish I could turn that tap on. It was funny, one, one night, Reg, um, I got the guitar out and we, we play in a very ordinary band, Six and Out, which which Chris actually didn't produce. It's not, it's not, it's not on his resume. It's good for him, bad for us. Um, but I got the guitar and I started playing before I really knew what Chris had done. And he said, that's wonderful, Shane. You played that song all three keys perfectly. <laughs> well, boys, um, I want to I thank you for coming on the show. We're at um, Raphael's here today in the Sydney, one farrier place in the Sydney um, for Italian feed. We have a nice little feed now, but I really want to say thank you to you guys coming on the show. Um, it goes to show, I think, in life, Reg, that you don't necessarily have to be down one lane. There can be more than one lane in your, in your life. Oh, cool, um, yeah what you've done for Australian music and, and Australian art and Australian pop culture, mate. It's huge. And Christopher, mate, you're just a breath of fresh air, mate, always. And uh, <laughs> a quick prediction, Chris, um, the Test Series against India, who's going to win? Ooh, I think Australia are in with a big shout this time. Yeah. They really are. Plus the fact, I mean, I was lucky to be there on Sunday. I mean, Smith is just out of this world. I mean, well, and, and, and blimey, he's not, the, he's not like a one-man show either. So I think, I would imagine Australia are going to win it, actually. Do you like your cricket, Reg? I'm, I, I don't follow it closely, but I mean, I think Australia will probably win. I think so. Well, I think Australia's biggest advantage this series is um, is Coley's wife. Yeah, yeah. It's Coley's <laughs> wife <laughs> because she, she's giving birth second test, and he won't be here. So uh, <laughs> whatever her name is, God love you, darling. <laughs> but thanks for having coming on the show, guys. Let's have a nice bit of lunch now, at Raphael's, and um, break some bread and uh, have an O'Brien beer. Oh, thanks for having us on. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. That's it for lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests Reg Mombasa and Chris Thomas. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And thanks to our junior reporter this week, Trent Lund, for all things animals and flatulence. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars and if you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out on our social media. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we change some more complete legends about music, sport and business on another Cracker episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then.
all the things that weigh us down are just as you describe. Oh, gravity make us all fall down, bang, bang on the ground. Keep us in a state of fear of falling. Keep us in a state of fear of falling. Whoa. Even when you're sleeping, she will 